Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Looking this morning at the subject matter, an anchor in the storms. An anchor in the storms. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be reading the chapter this morning in its entirety. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times... Of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Johnny's, or Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father, we thank you for these words, meant to help Timothy be equipped to be salt and light in his culture. It wasn't easy for him, it won't be easy for us. God, help us to understand that. Strengthen us, teach us encourage us day to day help us to go about with your peace help us to walk in the spirit and Lord help us to press on and never give up Lord we thank you that you have told us in your word what we can expect shouldn't be a mystery to anybody Lord until we see you face to face help us to keep our eyes on you and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, may we live for your glory and yours alone. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seems now that almost weekly we hear of some new atrocity. We go on the internet looking at news from around the world or cut on our television set and something's happened somewhere in the world and we've almost grown numb to it. It happens so often. And I guess that begs a question in a way, are these things happening more today or is there just more coverage of them? I think it's probably a combination of both. But there's all kinds of atrocities going on in the world. And folks, we know that the Bible tells us it's not going to get any better before Jesus returns. You know, years ago, post-millennialists claimed that the church was going to be so successful in our mission that we were going to reach the entire globe for Jesus Christ. And when he came back for his church, we would meet him and hand over to him a job that was pretty well complete. Well, you know, the 20th century pretty well messed up their eschatology. Two world wars and many atrocities later, most post-millennialists have abandoned their position. But folks, I hope that doesn't discourage you because as Paul says to Titus in Titus 2.13, we're to be those who are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got a great and a certain hope as believers. We know how it all ends. God's shown us the end of the story, the end of the book. Amen? Like Dr. Vance Havner used to say, he said, I'm so glad there's no Satan in the first two chapters of the Bible, and I'm so glad there's no Satan in the last two chapters of the Bible. We know how the story ends. Now, in the meantime, we should not be shaken by evil. We should not be taken off guard by evil. We should not be surprised by everything that we see going on in the world. Because the Bible makes clear before the second coming, the world is going to get worse. And the book of Revelation gives us a clue as to why. One of the reasons why is because Satan knows that his time is short. Well, folks, Paul wants young Timothy to know that in the midst of the activity of Satan and in the midst of a world that seems out of control, the believer need not grow discouraged because God is still omnipotent, God is in control, and God has given us an anchor for the storms. And we're to rest in that. Timothy needed to know these things. Paul wanted him to know that while the world will worsen, the believer has two things. Number one, we have positive role models in the Christian faith. We have good models, we have mentors, we have teachers, and we can look at their life, we can look at their faith and the outcome of their faith, and we can be encouraged by them. And secondly, we especially have the Word of God. And I want us to see all of that in this chapter. It's a bit ambitious to try to cover this chapter in its entirety. Uh, I'm going to give it a go this morning. We may need to come back in future weeks and break this down uh, into smaller bite-sized units. 
But, but folks, there's three big movements in this chapter. And what I want you to see is those three big movements build on one another. They're not disconnected from one another. Yes, the world is getting worse. That's the bad news. But the good news is we have mentors and we have the Word of God. And through those mentors and through the Word of God, we have the strength to press on. And that's what I want us to see in this chapter. Number one, I want you to see the perversion. The perversion. Read with me again in verses 1 through 5. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to mark this down. I want you to make careful note of it. Be quite sure, realize all of this. Now the previous chapter, you'll recall, closed with a ray of hope. As we carry out our ministry, we'll, we'll see a number of successes as people are turned from the error of their ways. But the opposite is also going to be true. Why? Because in the last days, difficult times will come. Now folks, you need to understand how the New Testament uses the phrase the last days. The last days are that period of time that stretch all the way from the coming of the Messiah until he comes back the second time. And that means that we've been in the last days now for more than 2,000 years. Now that begs the question, why would such a long period of time in the Bible be referred to as the last days? There's actually a very good answer to that question. And that answer would be that because Jesus is the final and complete way that God is going to speak to people or reveal himself to people. Hebrews 1.1 says, In the former times God spoke to us in many ways, but in these last days He's spoken to us in His Son. In other words, Jesus is what the entire Bible is all about. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing forward to Him. And so when the Messiah came, the last days began. Sometimes Bible scholars speak in terms of the last days starting with the resurrection of Christ. I prefer to back it up 33 years to Bethlehem to the incarnation when Jesus was born. But at any rate, either with his incarnation or with his resurrection, we are in the last days. He is God's last communication to man in terms of salvation history. We're not going to wake up in the morning suddenly finding that God is going to communicate and save us through some other plan. Jesus is God's final plan. And so we're in the last days. And notice what Paul says here about the last days. They're going to be dangerous. They're going to be perilous. 
Again, with the birth of the Messiah, Satan knows that his days are numbered, his days are short. We've also got to remember from our vantage standpoint of view, 2,000 years sounds like an awfully long time, but from God's standpoint of view, 2,000 years is not very long. Now, folks, all you've got to do is peruse the English translations to see what the translators are trying to communicate. Various translations say dangerous times will come, violent times, difficult times, perilous times. Philip says the times will be full of danger. The word dangerous or perilous is quite interesting. In Matthew 8, 28, it is translated fierce or violent. It's used in Matthew's gospel of people who are demon-possessed and violent. Well, as Paul closed out chapter 2, he told Timothy that some people are held captive by Satan to do his will. And so the Bible makes reference to the fact that as time goes on, demonic activity is going to be on the rise. And because of that, you end up with dangerous times, violent times, fierce times. That's interesting in chapter 2, Timothy was to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. In chapter 3, Timothy is to remember the times, how dangerous they are. And I think the implication putting those two chapters together, what Paul is saying is, is Timothy, for times that we live in such as this, Jesus Christ risen from the dead is mankind's only hope. Now notice what he says about these dangerous times. He calls them evil. And what are the signs? He says men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. That's been referred to as the devil's unholy trinity. It is a three-headed, idolatrous god of self and money and pleasure. And all of the other perversions in this list seem to grow out of those three. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. Now doesn't that sound like a commentary on modern history? That's why if you're not ready to meet the Lord, you better hurry up and get ready because we're seeing things right now that are signs that we're in the last days and who knows how long the last days are going to end or are going to continue rather before they end. Lovers of self. He's speaking here of an exaggerated view of yourself, an exaggerated love for yourself. Men put themselves on the throne of their lives even above God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But what are we seeing today? People are taking God out of His rightful place and they're putting themselves there. They love themselves. 
Now we know there's a proper way to love yourself. Jesus spoke about that when he said love your neighbor as yourself. You need to see yourself created in the image of God and your value is in the fact that Christ has redeemed you. He died on the cross for you. That's where your value is. What God has done for you. But men are perverting that. They are putting self on the throne of their life and they're worshiping themselves. And not only that, but they are worshiping money. He says they are lovers of money. In the last days, men will be lovers of money. What drives everything today? Money. And people will kill you for a dollar in your pocket. There are places you can go in this country that because of the hat you have on your head or the shoes you have on your feet or the automobile that you're driving, somebody might attack you, somebody might injure you or even kill you. Why? Because they want what you've got. We're lovers of money. Lovers of self and lovers of money. And then he says people will be lovers of pleasure. Another form of idolatry. What's the logo today? If it feels good, do it. It doesn't matter who you hurt. doesn't matter if it pleases God. Uh, if it pleases you, just go ahead and do it. All authority is despised. Even God's authority is despised in a humanistic culture. That's the way everything is today. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. I think about another period in the Bible, a very low period in the Bible, the period of the judges. What were people doing back in the time of the judges? Everybody was doing what was right in his own eyes. And folks, we're right back there today. He goes on in this list to talk about people being proud and arrogant and abusive and disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That's quite a list, isn't it? Not very complimentary of human nature, is it? Let's take a few of them. Verse 3, heartless. That's a loaded word in the list. It has a number of nuances. It's only used here and in Romans 1, 31. It can mean inhuman, without natural affection or without family affection. Number of ways to deal with it. Seems that today nobody really cares or loves their neighbor or their fellow man. And so the natural love that people once had for one another is gone. We're also seeing folks do all sorts of unnatural and inhumane things to one another. Even when it comes to their loved ones. I read a number of years ago about parents that locked their small children in a dark closet, chained them in there, and those little kids had to grow up in a, in a dark closet and they hardly even fed their children. And when they were found, they were pale and they were skin and bones and they didn't hardly have any eyesight. Can you imagine parents doing something like that? I, th I think of all this same-sex stuff going on. Without natural affection, without family affection, 
It's contrary to natural affection. This word refers to all of that. And then he talks here, he uses the word unappeasable or irreconcilable. Have you ever met people that simply will not forgive others? Simply will not get right with other people? It doesn't matter what you do. They just will not be appeased. They will not be reconciled. Paul is saying that's actually a sign of the times in which we live. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, you sick them, preacher. You tell us how it is out there in the world. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 5. You even find it in the church. He says in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. There's going to be no shortage of religion among people who live this way. They go through their religious activity. They check off all the right boxes. They're probably a member of all of the right clubs and do all of the right things in the eyes of men at the right time. But they've never been born again. They've never been changed and converted from above. Born of the Spirit. They still have the old heart that is characterized by these things that we read in these first five verses. And he's saying you find it even in the church. You remember Paul, uh, you remember Jesus talking about that on one occasion? To his disciples that wherever you find the wheat growing, what do you also find? You also find tares. Who have been sown by who? Jesus said the tares sown by the evil one. Remember what uh, Jesus was asked on one occasion by the disciples? They said, Lord, do you want us to go and try to root all these people out? And he said, no, because by rooting them out, you might root up some of the good wheat in the process. Just leave them alone until the end of the age. And when the angels come and the Son of Man in all of his glory, he's going to sort things out. But again, the point that all of this is even going to be seen in the church. It's not just them out there. Look at this list again. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Could I be describing somebody in here this morning? Somebody that's never been changed. Somebody that's never been born again. You do things in the world that the man of the world does. You talk like the man of the world. You go to the places that the man of the world goes to. You engage in the same activity of the man of the world. 
you could put your life right up against a man of the world and somebody who knew very little about you looking at both lives if they could see the pattern of your life there would be no difference no distinction between your life and a man of the world if that's the case with you can I say to you this morning you need to be born again you need Jesus because the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can I ask you this morning, do you love God and you love the things of God? You love the work of God. You love the word of God. You, you love whatever God is up to and whatever God is doing. You want to be involved in that because your heart's been changed. You love your heavenly Father. And you love the people of God. If that doesn't explain you, my friend, I would go home this afternoon and I would seriously evaluate myself whether I have come out of darkness and into light. Peter said we are to be a peculiar people we're to be a kingdom of priests. Remember how God used that in the Old Testament of Israel when he brought them out of Israel and brought them to Mount Sinai and Moses went up on that mountain and everybody was afraid. Do you remember that cloud that covered the mountain? And when Moses went up there, remember that word that God gave to him in Exodus 19 that you are a peculiar people. You're a kingdom of priests. You're different. And you're to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and in to his glorious light you turn over to first Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2 rather and that is the exact language that Peter now applies to the church that same distinction that God gave to Israel to be different from the nations around them he has now given to the body of Christ is your life different or do all the perversions and loves of the world still characterize you? Paul goes on here to talk about some bad examples beginning there in verse 6. In verses 6 to 9, Paul applies all of this to those who've denied the Christian faith and they teach falsehood. Paul, Paul, again, Paul's making clear even some religious leaders are involved in all of this. And he names two examples by name. John A's and John Bray's. Now you'll have to go back to Jewish wisdom literature to, and Jewish rabbinical writings to understand who these men were. You see, in the Jewish writings, these men were named as the men who opposed Moses and Aaron. And they stood there with Pharaoh. Remember when Moses and Aaron were told to cast, Moses cast his rod down, it became a snake? What did these magicians before Pharaoh did do? They threw their staff down, and what happened? It became a serpent too. But Moses' serpent was hungrier than theirs, and his ate theirs up. Remember that? Well, Jewish literature names those Egyptian magicians. John A's and John Bray's. 
who were empowered by the devil himself. And Paul is saying here in the church today, even among leaders, Timothy, there will be people like that that you encounter in your ministry. All this perversion and all this evil going on in the world, and you even see it in the church, you're even going to see it with some leaders. What do they do? They weasel their way into some homes and capture weak-willed women. Now, ladies, he's not slamming all women. You've got to understand the context here. Women in ancient times, were, they, were, they stayed at home and minded the business of the home and nurtured the children. They didn't get out and about and discuss the things of, of life and culture and we could say today politics or whatever with the rest of everybody else. They stayed home and, and they nurtured the home and raised kids. And so sometimes what these fake religious leaders would do is they would weasel into these homes and here'd be a lady saying, hey, hey, he really wants to know what I think about all this. And they understood something. Win the lady and you can win an entire household. What Satan do in the garden? He deceived Eve. And then the Bible says Adam took of the fruit and ate too. But what Paul's talking about here is in the last days, all this perversion, you even see it among men who are proclaiming to be religious, but they're imposters, they're deceivers. They're empowered either, even by the devil and they try to go in and they even try to divide families. And he says, avoid such people like this. Sometimes all you can do is avoid such people. Stay away from them, Timothy. There are people today that we just need to stay away from and trust that there's going to be a divine payday someday. God's going to sort it out. Well, you know what? Right at this point, I guess, somebody would be reading these verses and think, you know what, Pastor? All this is depressing, isn't it? Because what he's talking about here is bad. All this bad stuff we see in society and all these bad examples, even among some so-called religious leaders, all this bad, what in the world is a child of God supposed to do in light of perversion? Second thing he points out here is the prescription. The prescription. You have something physically wrong with you and go to the doctor while they write you a prescription, right? Well, there's a prescription for the soul that Timothy needs to realize. First of all, it's the people of God. Look at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Saved. Timothy has had a good mentor. He's had a good example. He's had the Apostle Paul. And Paul is saying, Timothy, imitate me. 
Imitate my life. Follow me. Rise above all this perversion you see in the world. And follow me. Folks, you know I'm glad we can look at the church today and we can see fine examples of the faith. Amen. Men and women who have raised the bar for all of us. Thank God for them. Thank God that we have good examples. Where we can say, you know what, I want to be more like them. Timothy had an example. He had Paul. Nobody could ever say of the Apostle Paul that he was a lover of self, a lover of pleasure, a lover of money. What did the Apostle Paul do? Think about all of his missionary journeys. And he names that first missionary journey here when he was even stoned and left for dead. And what did he do? He got right back up and went into the city and he started preaching the gospel again. He didn't give up. Timothy had an example like that. I want to ask you this morning, do you have godly mentors and examples who have shaped your life? Emulate them, follow in their steps. Folks, we're not to be lone rangers in the church. God put us in a body of believers for a reason. We're to pray for one another and, and encourage one another. And in the church, God gives us good examples that we can emulate and follow. And they encourage us. And they show us what it means to live as salt and light in a dark world. We need to find those people and we need to live the way they live. Seniors. Titus 2 says you're to be doing that with the younger people in the church. Older men instructing younger men. Older ladies instructing younger ladies. Seniors do that. Be that example for somebody younger. Young men, you know what you ought to do? You ought to find some older man in the flock who encourages you, who's been like a mentor to you from a distance. Take him out to eat and learn more about how he has dealt with things in his life. Middle-aged couples, young couples, young people. We see what's going on in the world today among young people. So many of the rise of the nuns, the book says. N-O-N-E-S. Young people who are turning away from the church. You know what? You ought to find some of those in the church who haven't turned away. And young couples going to other couples and saying, Help us. Be a mentor to us. Show us what you're doing. Good examples. Good examples that help keep us rooted and grounded in the faith. Amen? Folks, there's strength in that. Never underestimate. There's strength in that. Good examples around us. 
not only the people of God, but he mentions the Word of God. Look at what he begins saying. But as for you, verse 14, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy was not only to look to Paul's life, but he was to especially continue in the word of God. That word continue here in verse 14 means that the word of God is to be your constant dwelling place. It is the same word that Jesus used in John 15 when Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you're nothing without me. Remain in me or abide in me or continue in me. Same Greek word here. Paul is saying you need to abide in God's word. Make a dwelling place in your heart for the Word of God. Too many of us have a Bible in our hands without having the Bible in our hearts. We're to hang on to the anchor that God has given us. In verse 15, Paul says, You've known the sacred writings. That's a Jewish expression that referred to the Old Testament. The Jews prided themselves that by age five, their kids were nurtured and discipled on the Word of God. They had a saying, Our young drink in the Word, the Torah, along with their mother's milk. Paul said that through knowing the sacred writings, Timothy had been given the wisdom that had led to his salvation. Folks, the central figure of the Bible is Jesus Christ. And the central message is the salvation that God is offering through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible is not chiefly a book about history or, or science or simply to be read as great literature. Now, when it comments on those things, it's reliable, it's true. But the Bible is a book of redemption. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Word of God. Through the sacred writings, Timothy has learned about his need, his sin, that he'd sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's learned about the Messiah that God sent, Jesus Christ. And so he's come to saving faith in Christ. But the Bible not only brings us to saving faith in Christ, it helps us to be discipled, to be mature. And so he goes on in verse 17, uh, 16 to say, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Pasa is the little Greek word. All Scripture, every single bit of it is God-breathed. It's not just a human book, it's God's Word. And we need to read it and study and accept it as such. It is God's holy and errant word. All scripture. Jesus said heaven and earth are going to pass away, but not a single jot, not a single tittle of the word of God. The smallest little punctuation marks uh, in, in language. Jesus said not even that will pass away, although all heaven and earth passes away 
Folks, we need to be rooted and grounded in God's Word. We could say that throughout church history, I I realize this is an oversimplification, but I think it helps. Through church history, there have been three great battles in church history that the Word of God will help us with. The first couple of hundred years of the church, the battles were over Christology. Who is Jesus Christ? Is He fully God and fully man? What is the nature of Christ? And they hammered that out. And what did they use? They used the Word of God to give them direction. And from the Word of God, they came up with some of those great early confessions and creeds of the church. Like the Nicene Creed, for example. Then after Christology, the argument was over soteriology. How is a man reconciled to God? How does he come to saving faith in God? And the Protestant reform, the, the Catholic Church said that the church was both the lighthouse and the lifeboat. And the Protestants came along, Protestant reformers came along and said, no, 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 no. The church is the lighthouse, but it's not the lifeboat. There's only one who's the lifeboat, and that's Jesus. And then since the Enlightenment issues related to epistemology, how do we know what we know is true? Folks, it is the Word of God who helps us to be grounded in all of these issues. Paul says here, it is profitable for teaching or doctrine, the content of what to believe. It's profitable for reproof. It corrects us. One Chinese missionary was giving out Bibles and somebody brought the Bible back and gave it back to him and said, I don't know what it is about this book, but every time I read it, it kicks me. It reproves us. But the next word is correction. It not only kicks us, but it kicks us in the right direction. And then he says, for training in righteousness. It's God's owner's manual for living. I told you one time about that story. I, I've not been able to confirm if, if it's true or not. I wonder. But there's a well-known story out there about a mechanic broke down on the side of the road and he's working on his automobile and this white-collar man in a black suit white starched shirt and tie drives up pulls in behind him and says sir can I help you with your car and that mechanic with his hands greasy looks at that man he thinks yeah right what's this guy gonna do and the white collar man said by the way I'm Henry Ford and I designed that car (laughs) God's word is his owner's manual for living Verse 17 points out that this correcting and training has a purpose, namely your maturity. So you see what Paul is telling Timothy here. Timothy, it's perilous times that you're going to live in. You're going to minister in perilous times, dangerous times. Times when you're even going to see shysters in leadership 
who will point the people of God away from the truth. Timothy, that's going to be your culture. But Timothy, you need to remember that anchor God's given you. Mature Christian saints and the Word of God. And that's going to help you in all the storms of life so that your faith will not be shipwrecked. Folks, that's what God's done for us. What Paul is saying to Timothy here is true for every single one of us here this morning. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me in prayer for a moment. And I want to ask you, are you going through difficult times? Are you in a trial or test of your faith? Lean on God. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Tough times in which we live. Dark times. Times when so many people in society are going their own way. Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure. Say, God, give me strength that I won't live that way. Help me to keep my head. Help me to keep my focus with my eyes on you. Ask God to send some mentors into your life. If you need a more mature believer to come alongside of you, ask God to give you somebody like that. And folks, keep your eyes open to who God might send into your life. And those of you out there who've been discipled and walking with the Lord for many, many years, I want to ask you to make your lives available to that person that might come along beside you and say, Hey, would you help me? Would you encourage me? How is it that you live like you live? Would you teach me? And take up the Word of God. Say, God help me not just to read it, but to study it, to devour it. That I might be grounded. That I might know what I believe and why I believe it, and I might be able to teach others. Lord, thank you for these anchors you give us in the storms of life. Thank you for the equipping and the encouragement that you give to your people. May we be found faithful. May we not allow ourselves to be shipwrecked in our faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.